Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. It is Monday, January 9th, 2023, and I hope that everybody is doing very well this morning. I'm coming to you. I, I, I don't know how well this is going to go. Um, it could be that my internet just is not working. Um, I, I really couldn't tell you right now it says check your internet connection if you are there i tell you what i'm going to do i'm going to hop on um, with the other line and see if it's actually working or not i don't know if it is um, interesting story yesterday we got the live stream fixed for sunday morning came back plugged in my router and it was doing absolutely nothing so anyway, I hope that things are going well. If you're watching this and you can hear me and it's not sticking every two seconds, how about comment and let me know. Anyway, it is good to be with y'all this Monday morning. I tell you, I've had it, you know, up to there with uh, with technology issues. In case you're wondering, you know, it may be that you're at the point now where you're like, well, it may be user error. Well, realize that where we're at in Spotswood, we don't have modern convenience like you do. We don't have... Um, high-speed internet. We don't even have DSL internet. All we have is cellular internet, okay? That means basically internet that runs off of the same technology that your cell phone runs off of. Cell phones are great for certain things, but not necessarily for live streaming and upstreaming or, or, or uploading a lot of data. Thank you very much, Alice. I appreciate that. It's working, so I'm going to get to where we're picking up today is John chapter 18. We've made it through Jesus's high priestly prayer. Y'all remember the key thing that he prayed for was our love for one another, right? Our unity because two things. When we are unified as brothers and sisters in Christ, number one, it points to Jesus's authenticity. Number two, it points to the fact that God loves us, right? Jesus said it's by our unity that the world will know that God loves them even as he has loved him. Okay? So it's with that, that that Jesus ends his high priestly prayer, right? And he ends requesting that glory. And where we're picking up today is chapter 18, verse 1, when he had finished praying. So let me uh, pray and then we will dig in. Our Father, we thank you for this time and I pray that the technology would work, that it would be sufficient, that we would not get cut off. Um, for as we come to this very important section where your son has finished praying, where things really start rolling into place, we still have so much to learn about who you are through him and through his testimony. So guide us now by your Holy Spirit that we would see and hear what you would have us to and help us to know how to apply that to how we interact with others and one another. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so chapter 18, verse 1, it says this, John, I should say, if this is your first time, we're in the gospel according to John, chapter 18, verse 1, it says, when he had finished praying, and yes, the he is talking about Jesus, right? When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now, the interesting thing here is not so much what we find in John 18, it's what we don't find. We, we really don't find the Gethsemane discourse, right, if you wanted to call it that, where Jesus has this desire for his disciples to be with him, to keep watch, you know, some translations say to keep the watch with him, um, but they keep falling asleep, right? 
We don't have any of that here. And it's not that that isn't important. And remember, John is not writing a corrective gospel. There are those that say that, and they are wrong, and they don't have a good view of Scripture, and, and they may not even love Jesus, okay? They probably, in fact, don't love Jesus if they say large portions of his word aren't true. I don't see how they could. Nevertheless, John is not correcting what Matthew, Mark, and Luke talked about at this stage. What we have is the telling, according to John, that doesn't negate Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but what we have is the telling that corresponds to what John is trying to get across, okay? Why did he leave that out? I don't know. When you get to heaven, ask him. Ask God, right? Because this is God's word ultimately breathed out through John. But nevertheless, he leaves that out. Um, it just references the fact that they're at the olive grove. doesn't even go into names or anything like that. Now, verse 1 out of the way, verse 2. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priest and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Now, it's important to recognize the group that is involved at this point. Now, Jesus is going to get involved with the Romans, okay? But at this point, we're not dealing with Romans. We're dealing with two groups that hated each other coming together. You know, Jesus brings people together. It's fascinating. He's just talked about unity. Well, now the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are united. And that's interesting because the Pharisees and the Sadducees hated one another. There were major, major theological differences between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were both, um, you can really call the Pharisees the ruling class of, of Jewish society, but they were incredibly important. The Pharisees controlled the synagogue, which was the center of the Jewish economy, the center of, 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 of the Jewish community, and the Sadducees ran the temple which was the center for commerce, right? And was necessary for sacrifice, day of the atonement, all of those different things. The Sadducees hated and looked down on the Pharisees because a lot of the Pharisees really were not rich men. Also, the Pharisees viewed themselves as so much better than the Sadducees because when Rome came in, the Sadducees laid down for the Roman government, okay? That's why the Sadducees were given control of the temple. And so the Pharisees looked at the Sadducees as if they had compromised. The Sadducees looked at the Pharisees as if they were lunatics because of their theology. The Sadducees, if you had to plot things on a liberal and conservative scale, the Sadducees denied things like the resurrection and, and, and the supernatural. They were ultra-liberal, theologically speaking. The Pharisees, obviously, are the ones out there that are you know, tithing their mint and their cumin and their dill right? But we know that they're hypocrites. So it's just this big hate fest. And yet, with Judas, we see that, what do you find? You see a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priest and the Pharisees, all right? That is a fascinating thing because they are all together coming after Jesus. That whole business, rewinding back to chapter one, he came unto his own, but his own would receive him not his own are united in not receiving him, okay? 
Um, and, and it says very clearly, you know, it, it paints the picture for you, John does. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. So they have come for business. And I hope you grasp the, the narrative side of this, because he's telling a story here. Verse 4, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he. Mm, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, you might be wondering, what's going on here? Well, y'all, when we were going through the I am statements of Jesus, there are those that say there are seven I am. Typically, the people say the seven I am sayings of Jesus. There's an eight. I believe this is very much a ninth I am of Jesus, right? Because when they show up and they, Jesus says, who are you looking for? Jesus knows who they're looking for, y'all. Don't make any mistake about it. We know that already because of what has been said. Verse 4, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, Jesus knew everything that was going to take place. So he goes out, he confronts them, he says, who are you looking for? They say, Jesus of Nazareth, and he responds, I am he. This gets back to that evocation of the name of God himself. Right. Go all the way back to Exodus chapter three. Um, God comes to Moses in the burning bush, says, I've heard the cries of my people. You are deliver. You will deliver them. Moses says, why me, Lord? I can't speak. He gives all the excuses. And then Moses finally comes around to saying, all right, God, let's just say I do this. And I go to tell them that, that, that I'm there to deliver them on behalf of your God, the God of your fathers. But what name do I give them? God said to Moses, I am that I am right? It is the holy name of God that Jesus has just evoked here. This is the highest form of blasphemy that, 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 he can, that he can use. And yet he does so unashamedly. And the reaction that we get is one, it, it's almost like when you see these movies about bombs going off and people just fly everywhere. That's the equivalent to what has taken place. When Jesus evokes the name of God because he himself is God the Son, no one can stand. This harkens to that promise that a day is coming when every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Y'all, certainly that will happen because people will recognize Jesus for who he is, but I think it's also going to happen because we won't be able to help ourselves. I don't think that, that the soldiers, the Pharisees, the chief priests, I don't think they could help themselves but from falling down when Jesus said this. Verse 7, again he asked them, who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 8, I told you that I am he, Jesus answered. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Now, this morning, we're going to stop there for two reasons. Number one, it's a good place to stop. But number two, I'm afraid that my Internet's going to stop working pretty quickly here. But nevertheless, 
Yo, <clears throat> the reason I believe that John spends the bulk of his time here on this, as opposed to talking about the Gethsemane narrative, right? Jesus praying and the sweating, great droplets of blood, all of those different things, is to show yet again who Jesus is. And who do we find here in John's telling of what took place? Well, who we find is someone who is in charge. Who we find is someone of immense power beyond our reckoning. You know, there are many things that we ought to appreciate about <clears throat> what we've read today and about what we're going to read as we progress ever closer to Jesus' actual crucifixion. What should impress us, and I don't mean like impressive, but, but, but what should really affect us in there is lots of things. Jesus' submission, um, certainly the suffering that Jesus endured for his people, the way that, that those people rejected him, all of those things should really come across to us. But what we should never lose sight of is that Jesus, number one, knew exactly what was going to happen. Again, verse four, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it that you want? Jesus knew everything. Y'all, all the way back in chapter 14, he was telling his disciples about how soon he wasn't going to be with them anymore. He knew. But second, we need to recognize that every single thing <clears throat> that takes place here, every single thing falls, with un falls under God's power. Every single thing that takes place here comes down to Jesus's willingness we see it on the cross even <clears throat> when he asks God to forgive the people because they don't know what they're doing. We see it when he interacts with Pilate, when he says, you have no power except that which is given to you from above. Jesus was the man who held all the power because he was not only the man, he is God the Son. And this is the message that we get right at the start of the crucifixion narrative. Okay, the fiction narrative is just a fancy term that applies to the section of John, <clears throat> excuse me, I got a frog in my throat, and the other Gospels when we get to the actual portion where the wheels start to turn for Jesus being crucified. Jesus is in charge. And the unbelievable side of this is that he never stops. <clears throat> He's in charge, and yet he keeps on going. He endured the unthinkable. Why? Because he loves you. That's why. Because he loves me. Because he was on this mission from God the Father to glorify himself, to glorify God. And he would not be stopped. Even here, what do you see Jesus doing for his disciples? In essence, this is Jesus saying in verse 8, hey, look, you're looking for Jesus. I'm him. Let the rest of them go. And they do. And the prophecy was fulfilled that Jesus lost not a one that was given to him.
It's referring to all of his disciples because who knows what Judas told him. I mean, my goodness, we know that the disciples argued amongst themselves. For all we know, Judas had told them, yeah, and you don't only need to get Jesus. Let me tell you about this guy named Peter. He's the one that you need to get to. And this guy, the one who he loves more than anybody, Jesus's favorite is John. We had no idea. We know that the number one prize they want is Jesus. But Jesus still in charge is simply dealing with the Pharisees, the chief priests, the soldiers. Jesus, yes, technically is arrested. He's taken into custody, but only because he has turned himself in. This isn't just a man we're talking about. This is God the Son. So as we get started here, okay, as we start rolling with this, keep in mind what's important. See Jesus for who he is, for it's in seeing Jesus for who he is that we appreciate what he did. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the story of your son's sacrifice, and we thank you that he never stopped being him, and in fact, that he is at your right hand right now interceding for us. As we go through this time, give us a greater appreciation for his sacrifice for our salvation, for the high price that was paid. And I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. It looks like the technology hung in there, or maybe I've been talking to myself for the last few minutes, but we will see. Um, hopefully, I didn't even finish telling my story earlier. As soon as somebody said that it was working, I, I kind of trailed off. But yesterday, I got the live stream fixed at Old Providence because I took the internet from here at the manse, which again is cellular. I took it and plugged it into the church, worked great, came home, plugged it in, nothing happened. And I've only had that router for a couple of weeks. So I don't know what's going on. Um, but hopefully things hold together technology-wise until I can get a new router. Thank you so much for your patience and for your faithfulness. I see we've got Rose, good morning, and there's Becky and Christine and Elizabeth, good morning, and Alice again. Thank you very much. And let's see, who else do we have here? We've got Becky and Gary, and good morning, Terry. We prayed for you and Dale yesterday and we'll continue to do so. And there is Roberta. And yes, if you're in this area, you better be careful out there because it is ice and snow. It started snowing up at the church last night around five o'clock and instantly um, the parking lot was covered. So if you're driving around Virginia, watch out out there. Until tomorrow, I hope you all have a wonderful Monday.